Section 31 of A Book of Sibyls by Anne Thackeray Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Opie, Part 9. Mrs. Opie went back, soon after her husband's death, to Norwich, to her early home, her father's house. Nor was she a widow indeed while she still had this tender love and protection. That which strikes one most as one reads the accounts of Mrs. Opie is the artlessness and perfect simplicity of her nature. The deepest feeling of her life was her tender love for her father, and if she remained younger than most women do, it may have been partly from the great blessing which was hers so long, that of a father's house. Time passed, and by degrees she resumed her old life, and came out and about among her friends sorrow does not change a nature it expresses certain qualities which have been there all along so mrs opie came up to london once more and welcomed and was made welcome by many interesting people lord erskine is her friend always she visits madame de stal she is constantly in company with sydney smith the ever welcome as she calls him lord byron sheridan lord dudley all appear upon her scene there is a pretty story of her singing her best to lady sarah napier old blind and saddened but still happy in that she had her sons to guide and to protect her steps among her many entertainments mrs opie amusingly describes a dinner at sir james mackintosh's to which most of the guests had been asked at different hours varying from six to half-past seven when baron william von humboldt arrives he writes to her next day calling her mademoiselle opie no doubt from my juvenile appearance she adds writing to her father it is indeed remarkable to read of her spirits long after middle life her interest and capacity for amusement she pays four pounds for a ticket to a ball given to the duke of wellington she describes this and many other masquerades and gaieties and the blue ball and the pink ball and the twenty-seven carriages at her door and her sight of the emperor of russia in her hotel when the rest of the ladies crowd round eager to touch his clothes mrs opie carried away by the general craze encircles his wrist with her finger and thumb apart from these passing fancies she is in delightful society baron alderson her cousin and friend was always kind and affectionate to her the pretty little story is well known of his taking her home in her quaker dress in the judge's state-coach at norwich saying come brother opie as he offered her his arm to lead her to the carriage she used to stay at his house in london and almost the last visit she ever paid was to him one of the most interesting of her descriptions is that of her meeting with sir walter scott and with wordsworth at a breakfast in mount street and of sir walter's delightful talk and animated stories one can imagine him laughing and describing a cockney's terrors in the highlands when the whole hunt goes galloping down the crags as is their north country fashion the gifted man says mrs opie with her old-fashioned adjectives condescended to speak to me of my father and daughter he then went on faithfully to praise his old friend joanna bailey in her tragedies and to describe a tragedy he once thought of writing himself he should have had no love in it his hero should have been the uncle of his heroine a sort of misanthrope with only one affection in his heart love for his niece like a solitary gleam of sunshine lighting the dark tower of some ruined and lonely dwelling 
it might perhaps be a weakness says the friend long after recalling this event but i must confess how greatly i was pleased at the time no wonder she was pleased that the great wizard should have liked her novel it would be impossible to attempt a serious critique of mrs opie's stories they are artless graceful written with an innocent good faith which disarms criticism that southey sidney smith and mackintosh should also have read them and praised them may as i have said prove as much for the personal charm of the writer and her warm sunshine of pleasant companionship as for the books themselves they seem to have run through many editions and to have received no little encouragement morality and sensation alternate in her pages monsters abound there they hire young men to act base parts to hold villainous conversations which the husbands are intended to overhear they plot and scheme to ruin the fair fame and domestic happiness of the charming heroines but they are justly punished and their plots are defeated one villain on his way to an appointment with a married woman receives so severe a blow upon the head from her brother that he dies in agonies of fruitless remorse another who incautiously boasts aloud his deep-laid scheme against constantia's reputation in the dark recesses of a stage-coach is unexpectedly seized by the arm a stranger in the corner whom he had not noticed was no other than the baronet whom constantia has loved all along the dawn breaks in brightly shining on the stranger's face baffled disgraced the wicked schemer leaves the coach at the very next stage and constantia's happiness is insured by a brilliant marriage with the man she loves lucy is the dark sky cries another lovely heroine but you my lord and my smiling children these are the rainbow that illumines it and who would look at the gloom that see the many-tinted iris not i indeed valentine's eve from which this is quoted was published after john opie's death so was a novel called temper and the tales of real life mrs opie however gave up writing novels when she joined the society of friends for some years past mrs opie had been thrown more and more in the company of a very noble and remarkable race of men and women living quietly in their beautiful homes in the neighbourhood of norwich but of an influence daily growing handsome people prosperous generous with a sort of natural priesthood belonging to them scorning to live for themselves alone the gurneys were the dispensers and originators of a hundred useful and benevolent enterprises in norwich and elsewhere they were quakers and merchants and bankers how much of their strength lay in their wealth and prosperity how much in their enthusiasm their high spirits voluntarily curbed their natural instinct both to lead and to protect it would be idle to discuss it is always difficult for people who believe in the all-importance of the present to judge of others whose firm creed is that the present is nothing as compared to the future chief among this remarkable family was elizabeth gurney the wife of josiah fry the mother of many children and the good angel indeed of the unhappy captives of those barbarous days prisoners to whose utter gloom and misery she brought some rays of hope there are few figures more striking than that of the noble quaker lady starting on her generous mission comforting the children easing the chains of the captives 
no domineering jellyby but a motherly deep-hearted woman shy and yet from her very timidity gaining an influence which less sensitive natures often fail to win one likes to imagine the dignified sweet face coming in the comforting friend in the quiet garb of the quaker woman standing at the gates of those terrible places bidding the despairing prisoners be of good hope elizabeth fry's whole life was a mission of love and help to others her brothers and her many relations heartily joined and assisted her in many plans and efforts for joseph john gurney the head of the norwich family mrs opie is said to have had a feeling amounting to more than friendship be this as it may it is no wonder that so warm-hearted and impressionable a woman should have been influenced by the calm goodness of the friends with whom she was now thrown it is evident enough nor does she attempt to conceal the fact that the admiration and interest she feels for john joseph gurney are very deep motive powers there comes a time in most lives especially in the lives of women when all the habits and certainties of youth have passed away when life has to be built up again upon the foundations indeed of the past the friendships the memories the habits of early life but with new places and things to absorb and to interest new hearts to love and one day people wake up to find that the friends of their choice have become their home people are stranded perhaps seeking their share in life's allowance and suddenly they come upon something with all the charm which belongs to deliberate choice as well as that of natural affinity how well one can realize the extraordinary comfort that amelia opie must have found in the kind friends and neighbors with whom she was now thrown her father was a very old man dying slowly by inches her own life of struggle animation intelligence was over as she imagined forever no wonder if for a time she was carried away if she forgot her own nature her own imperative necessities in sympathy with this new revelation here was a new existence here was a living church ready to draw her within its saving walls john joseph gurney must have been a man of extraordinary personal influence for a long time past he had been writing to her seriously at last to the surprise of the world though not without long deliberation and her father's full approval she joined the society of friends put on their dress and adopted their peculiar phraseology people were surprised at the time but i think it would have been still more surprising if she had not joined them j j gurney in one of his letters somewhat magnificently describes mrs opie as offering up her many talents and accomplishments a brilliant sacrifice to her new-found persuasions illustrations of lying moral anecdotes on the borderland of imagination are all that she is henceforth allowed i am bound in a degree not to invent a story because when i became a friend it was required of me not to do so she writes to miss mitford who had asked her to contribute to an annual miss mitford's description of mrs opie quakerized all over and calling mr hayden friend benjamin is amusing enough and so also is the account of the visiting card she had printed after she became a quaker with amelia opie without any prefix as is the quaker way also as is not their way with a wreath of embossed pink roses surrounding the name 
there is an account of mrs opie published in the edinburgh review in a delightful article entitled the worthies of norwich which brings one almost into her very presence amelia opie at the end of the last century and amelia opie in the garb and with the speech of a member of the society of friends sounds like two separate personages but no one who recollects the gay little songs which at seventy she used to sing with lively gesture the fragments of drama to which with the zest of an innate actress she occasionally treated her young friends or the elaborate faultlessness of her appearance the shining folds and long train of her pale satin draperies the high transparent cap the crisp fichu crossed over the breast which set off to advantage the charming little plump figure with its rounded lines could fail to recognize the same characteristics which sparkled about the wearer of the pink calico domino in which she frolicked incognito till she was tired at a ball given by the duke of wellington in eighteen fourteen or of the eight blue feathers which crowned the waving tresses of her flaxen hair as a bride dr alderson died in october eighteen twenty five and mrs opie was left alone she was very forlorn when her father died she had no close ties to carry her on peacefully from middle age to the end of life the great break had come she was miserable and as mourners do she falls upon herself and beats her breast all through these sad years her friends at northrop's and at earlham were her chief help and consolation as time passed her deep sorrow was calmed when peaceful memories had succeeded to the keen anguish of her good old father's loss she must have suffered deeply she tried hard to be brave but her courage failed her at times she tried hard to do her duty and her kindness and charity were unfailing for she was herself still although so unhappy her journals are pathetic in their humility and self-reproaches for imaginary omissions she is lonely out of heart out of hope i am so dissatisfied with myself that i hardly dare ask or expect a blessing upon my labours she says and long lists of kind and fatiguing offices of visits to sick people and poor people to workhouses and prisons are interspersed with expressions of self-blame the writer can remember as a child speculating as she watched the straight-cut figure of a quaker lady standing in the deep window of an old mansion that overlooked the luxembourg gardens at paris with all their perfume and blooming scent of lilac and sweet echoes of children while the quiet figure stood looking down upon it all from to a child such an immeasurable distance as one grows older one becomes more used to garbs of different fashions and cut and one can believe in present sunlight and the scent of flowering trees and the happy sound of children's voices going straight to living hearts beneath their several disguises and mrs opie notwithstanding her quaker dress loved bright colours and gay sunlight she was one of those who gladly made life happy for others who naturally turned to bright and happy things herself when at last she began to recover from the blow which had fallen so heavily upon her she went from norwich to the lakes and fells for refreshment and then to cornwall and among its green seas and softly clothed cliffs she found good friends as most people do who go to that kind and hospitable country and her husband's relations who welcomed her kindly 
as she recovered by degrees she began to see something of her old companions she went to london to attend the may meetings of the society and i heard an anecdote not long ago which must have occurred on some one of these later visits there one day when some people were sitting at breakfast at samuel rogers and talking as people do who belong to the agreeable classes the conversation happened to turn upon the affection of a father for his only child when an elderly lady who had been sitting at the table and who was remarkable for her quaker dress her frills and spotless folds her calm and striking appearance started up suddenly burst into a passion of tears and had to be led sobbing out of the room she did not return and the lady who remembers the incident herself a young bride at the time told me it made all the more impression upon her at the time because she was told that the quaker lady was mrs opie my friend was just beginning her life mrs opie must have been ending hers it is not often that women when youth is long past shed sudden and passionate tears of mere emotion nor perhaps would a quaker trained from early childhood to calm moods and calm expressions have been so suddenly overpoweringly affected but mrs opie was no born daughter of the community she was excitable and impulsive to the last i have heard a lady who knew her well describe her late in life laughing heartily and impetuously thrusting a somewhat starched up friend into a deep armchair exclaiming i will hurl thee into the bottomless pit End of section thirty one